Hello and welcome to Red Couch Manx. I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenas, and we are going to delay the Defenders episode by at least one more week as we wait for some more news to come in. A lot of rumors, a lot of speculation, but we don't want the episode to go stale in a matter of days, so we'd rather wait for things to get official. Right, Carl? Absolutely. Fingers crossed. Hopefully... Ole and the team know that we're postponing this episode, so they need to get their act together pretty quickly. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm sure they're listening to us, right? So, um, Ole, get your act together, please. We want to. We want to announce this soon. In the meantime, what we are going to talk about is Manchester United's friendly against Derby County, the two-one win. Where United stand as contenders right now, with Jaden Sancho in the mix, versus where they could potentially be with the potential signings of a Rafael Varane and maybe even uh, a Kamavinga. We're going to get into some FIFA experimentation with the rules at youth tournaments, rumors about Pogba, maybe uh, looking at other options, and a little Olympics talk as uh, the footy has already got underway there. Carl, first off, the friendly... United beat Derby County. Always nice to see a win. Only caught the highlights, I'll be honest. But uh, to see the two youngsters, Tahit Chong and Facundo Pelestri, get amongst the goals, always a positive. Absolutely. You know, I also watched the extended highlights. And it was, it was, it was fantastic to see the ball movement. That's the thing that caught my eye the most. There was a, a lot of quick passing involved. In fact, the, the way that the Tahit Chong goal came about was from a nice ball from the right-hand side into the middle and then Chong onto that run and was able to chip the keeper, a little bit of luck involved, but he got the ball back and was able to slot it in. And then Palistri's goal, uh, lots of composure. He was able to round the keeper, keeping the ball really close to him the whole way. Uh, That's not an easy skill to do if you've ever tried to do that running at speed. I can tell you I have fluffed my lines many a time doing that. So, um, you know, kudos to him, such a young, young lad. He wants to fight for his position at United. However, Ole seems like he wants to send him out on loan to get some more experience. Vivek, what were your thoughts on the game? And do you think Pilistri should stay or go? For the game, I think my thoughts were similar to yours. I enjoyed the quick passing. I enjoyed the movement. And I sort of enjoyed how adventurous they were. Even with Chong on that setup, you know, it was encouraging to see him, even though the ball was momentarily lost, he just kept going. And he f- sort of forced that press, and that's how United were able to get through, and he was able to get through and score. As you said, a bit lucky, but hey, that's how you earn your luck. And then with Pelestri, very composed. And the most encouraging thing is the fact that he plays on that right side. And so you look at the options that United could potentially have down the line long-term, it's very encouraging. Having Sancho in the mix, though, I do feel he should go on loan. There's no sense in him, you know, playing a level below, just hanging around at the club, not getting as many opportunities as he potentially could. So giving him opportunities to go somewhere else, earn minutes, get better that way, that is what will serve United the best in the long term, I feel. I couldn't agree more with you. I think, you know what, we've seen that model work, especially with Borussia Dortmund. 
giving some of these youngsters a chance to prove themselves, get used to the grind, the day in, day out, find their own rhythm. And I think he can do that if he's out on loan as opposed to being at Manchester United. Now on the other side, him watching these pros who are at the peak of their game, seeing what they do day in, day out also has value. So there's you know reasons for both. But I do think as a youngster, the best way to learn is to be playing as many games as possible. And if he's able to do that out on loan, then so be it. And he's 19 years old. There's time. There's plenty of time for him to make an impression. It's not like, you know, say a Daniel James where you're thinking about, you know, if he leaves on loan, does he think his future at the club is done? That type of thing. And does he start looking for greener pastures to advance his career? So I think uh, from that standpoint, Palestri, I think, would be very much welcoming of an opportunity to just get as many minutes as possible. Now, part of why we'll be happy to see him on loan is because Jaden Sancho is in the mix. Him entering the equation, where do you see that shifting United's sort of standing in the title race? Do you see it changing at all? Do, did you see this as sort of a necessary move to even just stay where they are? 100% yes, they needed to make some moves. Everybody around them. Liverpool, Chelsea, City, they're all going to make moves or they've made moves already. And that's improving their squads. Suffice to say that the Sancho signing was much needed. Great boost. Not only did it address a weakness, but it added squad depth. Now, Vivek, I actually read an article on The Athletic. Uh, It was written by the author, Matt Slater. And this was a fantastic article. I mean, I was, this was right up my alley. I am a fan of numbers, uh, being an engineer and all. (laughs) You know, they broke down United, uh, their squad, as it stands today before Sancho. And they predicted that United would finish eight points less than what they did last season if they had the same squad. So that alone answers your question right there. Now, finishing eight points lower... What does that do? It completely throws you into that top four mix. You might even finish fifth at that point, right? Now, with the addition of Jaden Sancho, him alone increases the number of points we have by four. So he's worth four points to us. Now, before I go any further, you're probably wondering, hey, you know what, like, how do I believe these stats? Why should I believe these stats? So this was done from real analytics. That's where they got the numbers from. And to give you an idea on if this person, Mikhail, knows what he's talking about, he predicted the top three, correct, and the bottom five, correct, with his analytics from last season. He was also one of the few to predict where Liverpool would finish after the Van Dyke injury. Now, if you remember, Liverpool were on all sorts of streaks. They could not possibly lose a game at Anfield. They hadn't lost a game for more than two years. So for him to predict something like that at that point in time, you got to give it to him. Because now in hindsight, it might seem obvious. Oh yeah, no Van Dyke, Liverpool can't maintain that. But that's not what we were saying when they were playing last season. They were shooing to to win the title again. A lot of people were predicting that. So this is just a little bit about background. Weren't they also the first to predict that Leicester could win the title? They were the first to predict exactly, Vivek. So these guys have some credibility for sure. So our chances of winning the Premier League title 
finishing eight points lower was 1.25%. So you're, you know, <laughs> throwing a dart and hoping it sticks. That's basically the equivalent. Mm-hmm. Now with Sancho in our team, our chances improved to 4% of winning the title. Now to give you some more data, because I know you're all loving this. <laughs> Kamavinga, somebody who's been associated with us. If he were to sign just him, no Sancho, him alone would increase our odds of winning the title by 6%. He himself is worth six points. So you know how Vivek and I are constantly talking about this McFred axis where it takes two players to do one person's job? Just looking at Kamavinga opens up so many different options on what our squad could look like, what our starting 11 could look like. And that's why you're seeing that jump in probabilities of winning the title. Now, you're all probably wondering, hey, if we had Sancho, if we had Kamavinga, if we had Varane, what does that change? How does that change our odds? Well, we have a 15% chance of winning the Premier League title with all those three players in the team. So still, you can see, you know what? Lots of improvements to the squad, but still not an easy thing to do. The Premier League title is not an easy title to win. A lot of things have to go your way. Some injuries to other teams. And at the end of the day, that's kind of what it looks like, Vivek. Yeah, great breakdown, Carl. Obviously, for those of you who have a subscription to The Athletic, make sure to check it out. Some great work in there. I think the key here in understanding how these transfers could result in additional points is understanding how much value they add over the replacement and we talk about you know a replacement player the difference between scott and fred and kamavinga that's where that value comes from and so people would think shouldn't sancho have more value this and that well he he would potentially be stepping in for greenwood so it's not as if you know that was a position of weakness so to go for example, with the Scott and Fred and turn that into a Kamavinga, you're going from a position of weakness to a position of strength. Mm-hmm. And then along the same lines, you look at Varane coming in as a center back. If he pairs with Harry Maguire versus a Lindelof and now Lindelof moves into a depth role, that adds value as well. So it would take United closer to a title Carl, I know the one area we've maybe deferred on, I've I've felt that United is still a, a one year away from truly being a title contender. You you seem pretty dead set on going after that title right now, which I think, you know, within within the club, that should always be the goal. How do how do we get there as soon as possible? But I think these transfers say two out of the three. Obviously, one out of the three is pretty much done. If two out of the three happen, you are one step closer. If three out of three happen, then I would say absolutely come 2022, 2023, United absolutely will be ready to contend for the title because with those players in the mix, Everyone else wants to come to United now because you would expect a strong challenge. You would expect to go deep in the Champions League and really compete. And so when other clubs, other players see that, that's when you can really build the squads that you see at a Man City, 
that you see at a Bayern Munich, you know, where they suffer injuries and they just seem to go on uh, to the next strength. Vivek, I think, you know, based off of these statistics as well, I'm more inclined to agree that even with these signings, a title this year might be a stretch too far. I'm sure the fans' expectations are not going to be the same. They're not going to be as realistic. I will say this, though. With these three signings, if they do happen, it is at least one trophy minimum. That is the expectation. It could be the League Cup. It could be the FA Cup. But one trophy should be the minimum goal. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you on that. I think, again, as you build long-term, you need to taste winning. And you think about some of the semifinal defeats under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. You, you think about the Europa final defeat to Villarreal. You have to get over that hump. So this season is definitely a necessity in that regard. And then looking to the season after that, if you have a trophy in the bag, that's where you build the confidence to say, hey, yes, this is something we can do. This is something we can make a habit of. So Vivek, I actually have one question for you there. No, in, in part that Kamavinga increasing our odds by so much is, is also because now you can play Kamavinga and Pogba together and then exploit more of Pogba's attacking senses. Now the question becomes, is Pogba still going to be at the club? Because if you if you are entertaining the rumor mill, uh, Rayola is doing a pretty good job right now of uh, trying to increase Pogba's new salary contract with United if that does happen. With all this drama, you still want Pogba at the club? For me, as long as it doesn't come out of Fabrizio Romano's mouth or his tweets, I'm not too concerned. I think the likes of The Sun and The Daily Express and whatnot, I think they're going to have a new rumor for us every single day. So I'm not going to get caught up in it just yet. Rayolo is also going to do what Rayolo does. And I like that last season Pogba did something to separate himself from that. To a certain extent, you know, you are with Rayola to maximize your earnings, maximize your earning potential. And if he keeps it to that, I'm fine with that, right? When there's disruption being caused, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when you need to step in. And he made that statement last year, which was important. So if he can handle his business the, the same way this year, then I have no issues with these sort of rumors that are coming about that maybe don't really have any real substance to them. But I will say that Pogba, once again, has to show his desire. And he has to show that commitment. We saw it pretty much, you know, from that November, December timeline onwards after United went out of the Champions League. Now we need to see it for a full season. And frankly, other clubs will want to see it for a full season too. If Pogba leaves, do we need to sign a replacement? If we don't want to be stuck where we are right now, yes. Because if Pogba leaves, then I would say the ceiling is at best what United accomplished last season. Okay. I think he's that influential. And I think it would be a massive dent if he were to leave and there was no one to come in uh, and step into those boots. We're being linked with Saul Niguez and Ruben Neves. You happy with those names? I'm not thrilled, 
I, I wouldn't say that, you know, that's going to automatically fill the void. It would be something. It would be better than not filling it at all. But I wouldn't put them in that world-class category. I wouldn't put them in that match-winner category, which is what Paul Pogba is. So for Pogba, I feel like there's two ways he can look at it. One way is, hey, United have brought in Sancho. They could potentially have these other moves coming in. This is the perfect opportunity for me to sneak out the back door and no one will have any real complaints because there's all these new players for them to be excited about on the other side of it you want to be a part of this you want to play with Sancho and hopefully Varane and then we'll see what happens with Kamavinga and really try and accomplish something special at the club because as you said the trophy is a necessity next season so an exit with a trophy in hand, I think it would shut up a lot of doubters. I agree. I think he, you know, he's been here for the barren years. Why would you jump ship right when the tide is turning, so to speak? So I, I agree with you. I think, you know what, if Pogba wants to leave a strong legacy, yeah, he's a World Cup winner. Imagine if he's able to start bringing trophies back to United, uh, a club, you know, that's steeped in history. So. Looking forward to seeing how that one pans out. And I agree with you, unless it comes from Fabrizio Romano, we don't need to pay too much attention to what's going on because at the end of the day, these newspapers need to sell copies, right? And they have to do what they need to do. <laughs> Switching gears a little bit, Vivek. I know you mentioned earlier on in the show, uh, FIFA's experimenting with a couple of rules. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so... This is something. This is a report that came out uh, that there'll be some experimental new rules in a youth tournament. Funnily enough, FIFA later put out a statement trying to disconnect themselves from it, maybe because of the backlash uh, that it was received with. But just to tell you what the rules are, there are five of them. Two 30-minute halves with a game clock that stops when the ball goes out of play. Unlimited substitutions, throw-ins played with the feet, so kick-ins, five-minute suspensions for yellow cards, and this one I found extremely peculiar, free kicks that can be dribbled immediately. So why don't we start from the top, the first one. Two 30-minute halves, game clock stops when the ball goes out of play. How do you feel about that? So, you know, I actually like that rule i've always been a big proponent of having the clock stop when the ball goes out of play or if a player goes down this is just going to discourage time wasting something that happens way too much it, it also slows the game down it doesn't make it as watchable as it should be so cl better clock management is is more important in my opinion and it's also this is more transparent everybody knows what's going on Versus just the referee being the only person in the stadium knowing how much time there's left to, to, to play. Yeah, there's a little bit of the romantic where, hey, you there's no more Fergie time anymore because that can't happen. So I will miss that side of it. But I do think the clock stopping, I'm not so sure on the 30 minutes, to be honest. I've actually never thought about how long players are actually playing for. But if it's around about that 30 minutes, then it makes sense because you can we can all see like once a game goes into extra time playing into 120, the player's legs are already gone and you're not seeing the quality that you've seen throughout the 90. So 
I'm in favor of that one. What about you? I like the rule. I do have one major concern. So to address your question, there was a report that came out a couple years ago showing that across matches that they analyzed over a 25-year period, the average amount of time that the ball was in play, you know, excluding, you know, when the ball goes out and you're coming back for a goal kick, all of that, specifically when the ball is in play, it was somewhere around 57, 59 minutes. Okay. So I am assuming that's where the 60 minute comes from. And so I'm all in favor of that. My concern is that when you introduce stopping the clock, from a commercial standpoint, you are introducing advertising. And one of the beautiful things about being able to sit back and enjoy a game of footy is knowing that when the clock starts for the 45 minutes, 50 minutes, however long the injury time goes, you are watching the game. And so if a clock stops, you go to commercial for two minutes, then you come back, all of that. I think that would be my biggest concern. But will there be time to show commercials? Because if a ball goes out of play, they're getting the ball and they're restarting right away. So I guess that's the part where I'm not so sure there will be commercials unless, you know, the, the powers that be say like, hey, okay, fine. The ball goes out of play, water break one minute. And that's when you start to get into the type of NBA or NFL type of uh, structure where you're starting to see these 15, 30 second commercials. Carl, look at the way money works in sports these days. I guarantee you, if they go to a, a game where the clock stops, they will find a way to get advertising in there. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess the only thing is there better not be any Coke commercials. And when Ronaldo's playing, that's about it. <laughs> <laughs> so rule number two, unlimited substitutions. I'm not a fan of unlimited substitutions. I am in favor of increasing the number of substitutions, but I would strongly be against unlimited substitutions. So I would even go as far as saying, hey, you get two substitutions in the first half, you get another two tacked on in the second half, and then... If it goes to extra time, you get another substitution. If it goes to another extra time, you get another substitution. That's how I would more view it. Yeah, I, I like that one. I don't believe in the unlimited substitutions just because I think that teams with more squad depth, at that point, you're starting to see them getting gaining an unfair advantage. So you look at the teams with a lower budget. They're the ones who could potentially suffer. But you know what? I, I did like them increasing it from three to five because we did see more exciting games. Uh, one of the things that wasn't talked about that much in the Euros, they did have the five subs. And you saw like a complete refresh, usually around the 60th minute with some managers who put on three players at a time. You did see the quality just stay at a certain level and the games are so much more exciting. So mm -hmm. I think there is something to be said for that. And I, I do like the proposal that you you mentioned. One caveat I would add is, if you haven't used the two substitutions in the first half, you should be allowed to use them in the second half. So oh, 100%. Yeah, I it would carry over. So, for example, if you don't use your two subs in the first half, it becomes four to use in the second half, and then one and one and one. The next one, throw-ins played with the feet. 
So essentially having kick-ins. We're basically playing at Canland now. Um, <laughs> uh, I think one of my concerns with this would be while they are thinking it would increase the pace of the game because it's like, oh, it goes out, boom, put, put, put it down and kick it. And maybe it creates more scoring opportunities because now people treat it like a free kick and just dump it into the box. I do think you're going to have people, opponents also stand in front of the ball. And now you have to, every time the referee has to come over, mark the 10 yards or whatever it may be, right? Some sort of distance is going to have to be maintained to have a proper kick in. And I think that's where the concern would be. I would I would just say do both. A player the ball goes out, do either, whatever. If you think the throw in is faster, go for it. If you want to take a set piece and have a kick in, go for it. Yeah, I'm probably not in favor of this rule just because you've seen sometimes corner kicks they take the short one to get a better angle. Mm-hmm. Well, now you're just basically getting potentially better corner kicks. The other thing that's going to factor in is the field dimensions are going to play a huge factor. People who have like those Olympic tracks on the the field, they're going to have a little bit more room to take the free kicks. We've seen at Old Trafford, for example, how it slopes down immediately after the pitch. You're not going to be able to take any sort of decent free kick because you're just basically going to be standing and kicking the ball. So the field dimensions plays will play a big factor. I prefer you just keep the throw-ins and that way it adds a different dimension to the game where you've got to have the skill to be able to receive in a small space and then turn and find more space. And then it also gives you that added advantage if somebody can throw the ball long, well, that's good on them, right? So the Rory Delaps of the world. (laughs) Now, I'm going to save the fourth one that I have here for last because I actually think that is the best one. So let's bring this one forward. Free kicks that can be dribbled immediately. No. Do you, do you see any benefit for that? No. No. Just just leave it how it is. I don't see anything wrong with the way it's done today. I'm complete because you do have the the benefit of a the quick free kick. Might as well just keep it as it is. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. Okay. So the final one, I think this is almost like mandatory that they absolutely should bring this in. 5 minute suspensions for a yellow card. Why do you want want this to be mandatory? Because I think there should be some level of punishment. I think, uh, you know, for example, those plays where a player gets dragged down by the defensive midfielder in the middle of the pitch, where the defensive midfielder knows exactly what they're doing. I don't think the yellow card is enough, especially when you want to encourage attacking play. So now it adds that extra element of is the defensive midfielder or whoever it is going to fight through that? We're trying to get back in. Are they going to try and get back into the play? What is it? Are they willing to sacrifice the five minutes? So Vivek, you know what? I have a feeling if you're just keeping it at yellow, there's sometimes referees give out a yellow when it's not deserved. I think like they're being harsh. There's other times where referees give out a yellow because it's just consistent fouling, right? And then you have these other yellow card fouls that are way worse. Like what you just mentioned is a great example where they're stopping a counterattack. Another one case in point was Chiellini pulling down Saka at the end of the game where he's basically taking his jersey off. Like those are more deserving of this five-minute suspension. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I would be in favor of having a yellow, orange, and red card. 
where the orange cards are something along the lines of what Chiellini did, what you're doing to stop a counterattack. And those are the ones where it's like a five-minute suspension. I feel like that would be something to think about. You know what? I really like that. I think that that's a really smart way to go. And yeah, I think that could be cool to see as well. It adds another element. Hopefully, you know, they don't, you know, orange is pretty close to red. You don't want them pulling out the wrong card. <laughs> yeah, it might not be the best choice of color for, especially for those people who, who are maybe colorblind. Maybe we could pick like a different color. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's uh, pretty much uh, the rules that were talked about, that were mentioned. Uh, let us know what you think uh, on Twitter at Red Couch Manx. Add us. Let us know if you like any of the rules, if you hate all of the rules and why. I think that's the biggest thing I want to hear. Why? Because I, I watched ESPN and all these other pundits talk about the rules and they just blasted it saying, no, this is the way the game has been. This is the way it needs to be, this and that. And it's like, that's not a real reason. If everything stayed the same because that's the way it always was, we would be in a horrible world right now. Absolutely. There's something called evolution. And <laughs> that's how things improve. So for all those dinosaurs out there who want the game to remain the same i think uh, we really need to get off our high horse and at least entertain to see what can improve the game because i'm pretty sure when you were playing the game there were certain things that you didn't like and then they improved it and the last thing i'll say is if they're having conversations about all of these things a conversation needs to be had about the penalty shootout and either you go to the abba format to make it a bit fair where team a kicks then team b kicks then D team b kicks again and then it goes back to abba either you do that or you try to find some kind of solution to avoid a penalty shootout completely whether it's what i suggested before where you play more extra times and you increase the number of substitutions as you go on at while simultaneously maybe taking a player off each team with each session to try and get to that goal because I feel like I'd much rather see the game end in an actual goal than have these games decided by penalties. Yeah, I agree with you, Vivek. I am absolutely stunned that the ABBA format has not been employed. It just makes so much more sense. And when you add the statistics of what you've mentioned in the past of the team who kicks first wins a, a penalty shootout, I mean, that's got to count for something. It's just the equivalent of what well, we've talked about offline in the past, Vivek, about how a coin toss can be so important in a cricket match and something needs to be done about that as well. Win the toss in India and bat first. If you, if you don't, you're asking for trouble. Exactly. Anything else on your mind, Vivek? Just quickly, you know, uh, for fans who are looking ahead to the Olympics, get excited for this time of the year. Obviously, these Olympics are not going to be the same. No fans. It's a terrible COVID situation in Tokyo. But there are going to be sports and there is going to be footy. And two United players, Ahmad Diallo and Eric Bailly, are going to feature for Ivory Coast. So I know the games are going to be on bright and early in the morning. But if you're looking for a couple of United players to catch, make sure you're watching Ivory Coast. Yeah, and uh, Vivek, any thoughts on those special beds that they have at the Olympics? <laughs> <laughs> you know what uh, i feel like there's gonna be some myth busting going on 
uh, or at least the athletes are going to try and mid-bust. <laughs> <laughs> I already saw a video, actually, of one of the athletes purposely jumping on his bed, and mm-hmm. uh, it withstood the test. Now, Carl, the last thing I wanted to bring up was looking at the footy in Tokyo on the men's side. I was surprised to see how many big names there are for Spain. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this, but for Spain, they are going to have, and they've already played their first match. They drew nil-nil with Egypt. They have Unai Simon, Eric Garcia, Pau Torres, Pedri, Mikel Oyatabal, Dani Almo, all who played in the Euros. On top of that, they they have Jesus Vallejo, who we saw in the Granada match in Europa. Dani Ceballos from Real Madrid. Martin Zubimendi and Mikel Marino, both from Real Sociedad. They have Carlos Soler from Valencia. Uh, Marco Asensio as well from Real Madrid. So a pretty stacked team. That is really stacked, actually. The names you're rattling off, I recognize uh, almost all of them. And uh, it can't, that can't be said for most of the Olympic teams, if I'm being honest. I also noticed that Brazil put a shellacking on Germany today <laughs> with... Uh, Richarlison scoring a hat-trick in 30 minutes. Yeah, Brazil, obviously, they're the defending champs. Uh, Neymar scored that penalty to win them the Olympics in 2016 in Rio. And they have not only Richarlison, they have Douglas Luiz, they have Gabriel Martinelli, and they have uh, Dani Alves, who's still kicking about. So 38-year-old Dani Alves. Yeah, so there's definitely some fun footy to be watched if you're going to be up that early in the morning i mean the, the matches range from about 4 30 a.m to 7 30 a.m so it, it's very early but eastern standard time it, yep eastern time but hey if it's on and you're up you might as well catch it i think that just about wraps it up carl anything left for you no that's about it uh, hopefully we have some good news to bring you on the next episode but until then, stay tuned. <laughs> a reminder, we are on Twitter at RedCouchManx. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and hit that subscribe button and join us after every match. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.